I'm thinking as we were singing the various songs of how we are petitioning God, seeking His strength, His power, His might, His wisdom. And at times, needing to be reminded of God's desire for us not just to seek Him, but to find Him, to embrace Him, and to live with Him. Thinking in the last song, God be thou, O great Jehovah. And as we're singing a lot of these songs, I mean, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of passages of Scripture that just flood the soul, flood the mind of different scenes in the, in the, in the Scriptures that reflect all of this. And, and treading the, the flooding Jordan River would be one of those. And reminding ourselves, at least me, being reminded as they face that stormy or that wide Jordan River before they crossed it, of the faith that they were to have in God, that, that trust. The Jordan River at its flood stage evidently was quite a sight to behold, very intimidating to tread those waters. But the thought that that river would part when the soul of the feet of the priest carrying the ark touched the water. Then the Jordan River parted and they passed on through. Remember when they crossed the, crossed the Red Sea? Moses stood up with his rod and told him to be still and watch the hand of the Lord and the Red Sea parted and they passed through on dry land. But here there was a river that did not move until those who were going across it put their feet in the water. Do we have that faith? Do we have that faith? That whatever it is that we're facing, do we have the faith? We should know And I know we do believe, we should know that God is and has tremendous power, that he does care and watch over his children. He does protect them and guide them. But their children have to trust him enough to walk where he says to walk. And to believe that he does answer that it may not be the way that we anticipated. I was thinking as we're singing, I recall an individual that faithful child of God telling me, he said, I know for certain God does not answer all prayers. Without a doubt, he says, I know for certain. I prayed this prayer for, I forget how many years he said he's prayed it, and it hadn't come to pass yet. He may have got his answer, But it may have been what was he praying for specifically. I do not know. He did not reveal that. Simply saying there are some prayers that have a great deal of dependence upon me and what I'm willing to do. If I want him to part the Red Sea or the stormy Jordan, am I going to put my foot in the water? 
Or do I want him to part before I get there? How much do I trust God in keeping his word and his will? How much do I want to be relieved of the physical life that we live? And then in essence, we desire that heavenly home here on earth. We want that glory land here. And that's not where it's at. And Peter is writing to those of his day in the second letter and in the first chapter, reminding them of the various, some of the various things that we're talking about here, of what it is that God wants and desires from those that are his, much more so than our having a trust or belief that he is all-powerful and all-caring and protective of his, of his children. Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Verse 4 reminds us that he has given us all things exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, that we have these great and precious promises, that we can be a partaker of that divine nature. For this very reason, given all diligence, you give attention to, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Here's what you have the obligation to do. Here's your responsibility of what God has already provided for you. He wants you to do this as well. For if, if these things are yours, and they abound. You read through that list again. Look at the qualifications. Look at the definition of those words. If these are in you, and these are abounding in you, you will neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, be it faith, be it virtue, be it knowledge, be it self-control, be it perseverance, be it godliness, be it brotherly kindness, or be it love. If you lack these things, you're short-sighted, even to blindness. And you have forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, in light of all of that, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. If you do all of these, what we call the Christian graces, if we're doing them and they're in us and they're growing and they are abounding, he talked about what a life you have to live. You will not be barren, nor will you be unfruitful. 
So an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly in the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, as you read through and read how God gives abundantly, above reproach, beyond our comprehension, there's no question about what God gives and how he gives to his children. The question is, how do we respond to what God has provided? I see what I have, but I'm looking for what I do not have. And in essence, I forgot from where I've come from. I've forgotten how far God has already led me. I've forgotten how much he has richly blessed me as it is. I'm looking for something else that may or may not be or may or may not come. And I forget what he's promised me here. If I am working, striving, desiring to grow, and these Christian graces of these are yours and are abounding, do not worry, you're going to be fruitful. But we sometimes forget what the fruit is. Sometimes we forget what he's provided for us. Patience or security, confidence, that confidence in God who already has told us and demonstrated from Ephesians 1, 4 and from other passages as well before the foundation of the world. He's already planned your redemption. He's already laid out how it's going to be through the blood that Jesus was shed. He's already laid out how it was going to be as after that blood was shed and you have obeyed the gospel. That you've been raised to walk in newness of life. The old man has already been buried in that watery grave of baptism. When you came up out of that watery grave of baptism, you were a new creation. It's a new life. And we have to grow, as he would tell them at the end of Second Peter, you need to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's you. That's your responsibility. That's your job. Is to grow in an understanding of this nature of God. Who is working in you. To work his will out. And to make the changes in you. That need to be made along the way. Are we willing? To do the things that he would have us to do. And to grow as he would want us to grow. Faith. That conviction. That strong assurance. Of things not seen. And the evidence of things hoped for. Do you have that faith? A strong conviction. And a strong assurance. And what you cannot see. That's God. That's Christ. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God working in you for His will and for His purpose. That's not being able to see outside that desire that we have for that eternal home with Him in heaven. Not being able to see how, why, 
and what way God is using me now. I have my idea. You see? That's my idea. That's not God's necessarily. More than likely not. He has a different goal and a different purpose, a different way of doing it. And the joy in being this child of God is to know that as I can surrender my will, as I can deny myself, take up that cross daily, and follow Him, He's with me each step of the way. We'll sing about, Lord, lead me. But we also need to sing about, Lord, let me follow. Help me. He's leading, excuse me, He's leading us through His Word. Am I listening to His Word? I want Him to lead me, but am I really wanting Him to lead me? I want Him to lead me to greener pastures. That's not what He promised. It's not what He promised. He promised He'd be with me through the sadness, through the sorrow, through the heartache, through the disappointments. He promised He's there. He has not abandoned us. So I need to add to my faith virtue, moral excellence, goodness. Am I working on that within my life? He didn't come down with a magic wand and say, now you're all clean and no problems and no temptations will face you and whatever else is there. I want him to do that. I want him to give me the moral goodness. That comes from denial of self, commitment and a belief in God that if I allow him, if I search for him, his word in my life, he'll be there. He'll give me what I need. He'll help me to overcome those problems. And I'm to add to my face this virtue that is there. And to virtue, knowledge. I want that correct insight. As children, we think we know what's best for us. As children, we think we know what we need to do. And if it wasn't for the grace of God and the mercy of God and sparing our, our parents' pain and agony, there'd probably been a lot of us that wouldn't be here. From doing things that we thought we knew how to do. But see, that's where the, the knowledge comes in. Correct insight. I'm seeing that the overall picture of what God wants in my life is not here on this earth. It's not. I'm just passing through here. That's not it. I want things, I'm looking for things here, and that's, that's the wrong perspective. That's the wrong goal. I need that proper insight. Everything that goes on here, every pain that's inflicted, every hardship that is there, every obstacle that seems to be insurmountable, is this a, a time and an opportunity for me to see and to trust God who already knows the answer? He already knows how it's going to work out. Do I trust him on that? That there's a purpose for well, I don't see what the purpose is. I, don't, I do not need to. I trust God that he knows there is a purpose. There's a purpose for the disappointment. There's a purpose for the pain and the agony and so on and so forth. Part of it is the fact that it's to keep me from becoming too comfortable in this world. That I forget about what I really want is in the next world. 
So these are reminders to me. It's hard, the heartache and the hardships that go along with it. Losing the loved ones and so forth. Does that not anticipate your joy? What a glorious day that will be when we're all reunited again. However God chooses to reveal that to us and demonstrate it, but what a day that must be. What a longing it must be for that, to be able to leave this physical behind and to gain that which is spiritual. When you get the correct insight, then you can add to self-control, self-discipline. Say, I want God to do the disciplining. I want God to say, no, David, that's wrong. Don't, Don't go that way. Don't do that. I'd rather him be telling me that than me say, that's wrong. I do not need to be going there, and I need to turn around and go in the opposite direction. God has provided a way of escape, if I will but look for it. I want him to put the roadblocks up. I hear him say, if I'm about to do something wrong, God, stop me. Well, <laughs> have you not listened? <laughs> He's already told you. He's already given you the guidance that you need. It says right in here, stop doing that. Don't go that way. Don't pursue that, the works of the flesh. Don't even go down that road. He's there for us. If we will but turn to him along the way. And then unto self-discipline comes perseverance. Perseverance is designed basically as bearing up under burdens. When I learn to discipline, I can learn to, to bear with. We see that in the physical world. Why do we not see it in the spiritual realm? You do things that you may not like to do because that's what's expected of you and that's what needs to be done. See, spiritually it's different. Spiritually, whatever it is I'm not doing is because it's not good for me. He says, if these are yours and and growing, you're going to abound. You can grow in these graces all that you want. There's no limit. Therefore, you're good. Therefore, you benefit. So as you apply that perseverance, push on through, look on the brighter side. Whatever it is, it's only temporary. It It may be for the rest of your life, but it does not matter because it's only temporary. And sometimes we have to keep reminding ourselves, this is only temporary. Sometimes we just have to learn to walk along with it. Almost like the camp where dad was out with his young boy and they were going through a store and the dad was saying, okay, Peter, be patient. Peter, be calm. It's okay. So everything's going to be all right. And goes on and some responded to him and said, your son Peter's doing a good job. He said, his name ain't Peter. His name is John. My name is Peter. I need this. It helps. It's a joy. We encourage one another. And we need to have this perseverance because if I quit, so many times people have quit when they were, the answer was right at the door. They just stopped too soon. Persevere on through. Endure. There's something better waiting for us and lessons that we learn along the way. 
When I can bear up under trials, then that godly character is their good godliness. That's out of devotion to God. See, I want the godliness first without all that stuff that goes before it. And that's not the way it works. These are like stepping stones. You work with one and you work your way up. You have to start with faith first of all. If you don't have faith in God, the rest of it does not matter. You have to have a conviction of who God is. You have to have a conviction that you understand that He does, without a moment's hesitation, have a deep concern for you as an individual. He planned your redemption for the sins that you have committed before they were committed. He provided that through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the depths of his love for you and his desire that you would walk with him. If you don't start there, this godliness is not going to work. But if you start where you need to be and work on it, then godliness is there. Then brotherly kindness, love towards the brethren. Scriptures talk about that all the way through. Love one another. Bear with one another. Encourage one another. Brotherly love. Unless we get caught up in the brotherly love. The last one is love. Active goodwill towards those that are in need. Love one another. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you. See, that's the hard one. That's the one we struggle with. But you notice it's the one that comes last. If you're working on these others, working up towards that, the last one is not that difficult. One being is if you go back to the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, the first characteristic in the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. First thing the Spirit gives is the last thing that we get. We've got a lot in between that we have to work out. And one is that you have to appreciate the long-suffering of God with us. And if God is long-suffering with us, then we ought to be long-suffering with one another. God sees something in each one of us that the others do not see. Years ago, I was talking to one of my uh, church secretary in a, in a congregation, and I was telling her that when I was a young boy, <clears throat> I was the most ob- obedient child. Somehow, Mama still loved me. Mama made the statement. She said, Son, I know there's good in you and that it will come out someday. And the secretary said, and this is, you know, Mama said it when I was a young boy. This is when I'm middle-aged. And the secretary said, we're still waiting for it. We're still waiting for the good to come out. Do we not see how long-suffering God is with us? There's good in each one of us. God knows that. We may not see it or may not fully appreciate it. We may not understand all that's involved with the, 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 the different personalities and, and all that goes along with it. But the scriptures are reminding us we are brethren. We are family. 
We are one in the Spirit. That prayer of Jesus in John 17, does it ever strike your heart and your, your, your mind and your soul? Father, I pray that they, they being Christians, they being the disciples there, but they being Christians, I pray, Father, that they may be one in us as I am in you. Wow! That ever rattle your cage? God wants us to be one as he and the Father, Jesus and the Father are one. He sees something, he's saying that can be done. Maybe a lifetime work, but it can be done. And sometimes, as in a lot of cases, the lives of those who have touched us, the lives of those who have strengthened us, many times have got away from us before we realize how much they touched our lives and how much they helped us to grow a little stronger in Christ. The old saying goes, please be patient with me. God's not finished yet. He still has a work to do. He's not finished yet. Can we do that with each other? Grow and this knowledge of Jesus Christ. You apply what you read, what you study. It'll change your life, and it changes the lives of those that we come in contact with. God in His love and in His mercy, God in His patience, has granted us time. Each day that we breathe, each moment that we have, he's granted us time to prepare to meet God. As the song says, there cannot be any greater tragedy in the life of a human being than to meet God unprepared. You're making the preparation. If you need help, need encouragement, need support in making this life right with God so that heaven is our home, we encourage you to make that change this evening. If we could assist you, if we could help you, indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.